Welcome to the Stone Conversation Podcast, covering everything to do with buying, selling and investing in real estate. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just wanting to start out, Stone Conversations will bring you content to inspire and inform you on your journey. Well, good day, everyone. Welcome to the Stone Conversations again. My name's Peter Mumford, CEO of Stone Real Estate. Today, we're chatting with Paul Glossop. Paul is the MD of Pure Property Investment. Guess what we're discussing? Property investment. Welcome, Paul, to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. Appreciate it. Well, I'm sure many of us have often thought, or, or I guess if we were talking to ourselves, the younger versions of ourselves, and saying and giving them advice on property, we'd probably say, buy a property now and keep buying them, and preferably don't sell them. And I think um, part of that, and I know in my particular case, my family was in the uh, dress business before they uh, progressed on other things, and they, as my mum always said to me, Pete, I wish I bought property. And it's something I took on and I was passionate about and I've been in and out of different investments and, of course, I can tell you I wish I owned everything that I'd bought and never sold them. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about what your business does. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess an extension to, to that intro, Peter, it was um, our, our role is, is really to work with either seasoned property investors but uh, for, for the vast majority of the time uh, either first time or second time or third time property investors to ideally guide them through, navigate both setting a clearer strategy um, as well as then to be able to utilise detailed research to select uh, key areas and then ultimately secure uh, high-performing investment properties um, only in the established space. We don't work in the, the brand new or project marketing space. Um, we, our role is to, to typically uh, source and secure properties for our clients. Uh, as far-reaching parts of, of the East Coast, right through the West Coast of Australia. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's in, in essence what we do. So one of the, the questions, too, people often talk about passive income, building passive income out of property. Let's chat about that. For people that don't understand when we say passive income, can you talk us through that with property? Property investment. Definitely. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, as a, a long-term property investor myself with a few dozen properties under my uh, portfolio at the moment, um, one thing I'm very much uh, conscious of is passive investment in property is a, is a furphy. I think it's a bit of a, a term used uh, to make things sound a little bit rosier than they are. And I think if anyone is entering into the investment property game thinking that earning money through property is truly passive, um, I think that they'll have another thing coming very quickly. However, done correctly, uh, I think property can be probably one of the more passive ways to earn an income, both, um, both in the short term, but most certainly in the long term. Um, the, the, the true element of, of how to attain a passive income, though, and I think the, the word to the wise and anyone who's listening to your podcast right now would, would know that the, the true income from property is not something that happens in a, a year or a two or a five-year time frame, or even in most cases, 10 years. It, it's typically a buy, acquire, hold, pay down, and potentially a portion of sell down of a portfolio to then be left with uh, assets that are unencumbered, which then in turn obviously still have a rental income and then provide you with an income to live your life at some stage. And I think that's one of the things I've enjoyed about property over the years. As long as you've bought at a reasonable price in a reasonable area, I found that I've been reasonably successful through the passage of time, whether that's 5, 10 or 15 years. Um, but I think what also happens, especially for business owners and why why maybe people should be talking to someone like yourself is that we get busy running our business. And I know on my bookshelf I must have 30 different books on property. Now, mm. do I do everything that I read? No, because I'm really busy building our franchise business. So I'm so focused on building that, I don't always get 
the time to research and where I go. And that's what I like about your business. So um, you really look into areas and help people acquire that property for a fair price um, where you think markets – and, you, and uh, from what you told me before, maybe we could discuss it a bit more. You certainly look at the individual because everyone's different at the different ages, don't you? You, you, you break it into segments of what they're looking to achieve. Yeah, un- unequivocally. And I, I think that that's probably the, the very, very key part for the property and that everyone needs to understand very early in the piece is that just because someone is doing something is in regards to trying to build their wealth through property um, and whether that's a family member, a friend or someone that you may know, it doesn't mean that that's the same thing that you should be doing or whether they're successful or unsuccessful in that venture. Uh, property is a very much a, a unique and bespoke uh, asset class in the sense that you need to understand what you can both A, afford to borrow, uh, also B, understand what you're trying to achieve, not in the short term necessarily, but in the 10, 15, 20 and, and all the way up to a 30, 35 year time frame. But then also C, how can you afford to hold the asset? And I think a lot of people don't necessarily consider that, not just immediately, because right now we're in the cheapest interest rate environments we've ever been. So people could probably look at numbers and say, I can afford that. But understanding what it means to add another 2% to your interest rate and switching it from interest only to principal and interest, all those components become very important when you're planning out what makes sense into what property type, what kind of cash flow you need, um, what kind of growth you're targeting. Is it a a set and forget style investment? Is it something you want to add value to? Is it even potentially a development upside investment? So they're all the, I guess, the parameters that we need to consider for the individual and what everyone should probably be thinking about before you put pen to paper on your first or your hundredth investment. I think that's very true. And again, as I was saying, it's so important that they seek counsel from someone, whether it's someone like yourself as a property advisor to help them find the right property. And you're, you're not aligned to any real estate business, but the opposite, you're actually working for the client to help them buy something. But looking at their goals, which what I like, we're talking investment properties today, because uh, buying a residential yeah. house, <coughs> excuse me, buying a residential house is more emotional because <laughs> we're buying to live there and we like the pool and the garden. But when you're buying an investment for your future, it's a different kettle of fish and, and different things to think about. And I think most people aren't educated on the tax saving and not, and with respect to accountants, not all accountants um, understand it fully or are investors. And I think that's what people think sometimes. I'll go and speak to my accountant, but I think that's the question you should ask your accountant. How many investment properties do you have? <laughs> Um, a lot of us don't do that. So that's what I like about what you do. Um, I think also you mentioned before about, and we were, we were discussing this earlier, but about large cities, small cities, and I guess not one place in, is right or is right for everyone. Because example, if you had a large income, and, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong on this, if you had a large income and you are older in life, say like myself, you may be looking for more capital gain in the next 10, 15 years but you may be able to afford more cash flow to hold it if it was in a major city, let's say it was a suburb of Seaforth, um, where if you're on um, 70 or 80K, you might be looking for a more regional area which doesn't cost much to hold, may give a longer-term capital growth, may take longer. Do you want to talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that there's, there's most certainly going to be different situations that are present, even in the, the former that you've, you've just outlined there, Peter. Let's say, particularly, you, you might think that you've got a, a 10 year time frame left in your working career and you're on a decent amount of income and have good equity and good earning capacity and borrowing capacity. Um, the, the situation probably isn't necessarily just then, therefore, cut and dry to say because you can borrow more, you should buy a more expensive asset. It probably also then has to filter through to what is the end game. And, and that that 10-year time frame, let's say hypothetically, we fast forward 10 years, you've acquired an asset 
today or this year and the intention is that we hold it for 10 years, really what we were trying to figure out is what happens in 10 years? Are we planning to sell that asset and just take a lump sum of cash? But then therefore, what happens with that cash? Um, And you're left with a very similar scenario that we're left with now because you know, ultimately, the, the, the beauty about property is that it is a relatively safe asset class in the bad times. It's a very strong growth asset class in the good times. Um, but but if you select correctly, the cash flow should pretty much be there throughout any of those situations. So I think starting with that end goal in mind, now if we're looking at an income generating asset, um, then, then in some way, shape or form, we need to pay off the debt. So if we're buying a hypothetically a million dollar property uh, and hoping that in the next 10 years it grows in value to hypothetically $2 million, well, that's all good and well, but we need to then work off the scenario to say, well, what if it doesn't actually grow to $2 million? Is that property yielding an amount of money now that is actually something that is palatable in 10 years' time? If it doesn't grow, what's your situation? Or do we flip it on its head and say maybe rather than a, a very high-priced asset with the um, potentially more so a speculation that it'll grow more aggressively in value. Do we think, well, if we've got good income over the next 10 years, and let's say hypothetically we can afford to pay off that $1 million asset, hypothetically again, in that 10-year time frame, do we target a higher cash flow asset? So in 10 years, you might be targeting a 7% net yielding commercial asset, which then we fast forward a decade, we're not too concerned about whether it's grown or not because we have no no uh, plan or provision to actually sell the property anyway. All we want from it is actually to provide us with an income. So that filters from that that higher end right through to the lower income earners who might be on you know something sub one hundred thousand dollar household income and looking to buy their first investment. We need to also consider what are we trying to do with this property, and that also includes things like your borrowing capacity, how much cash flow you have in your household, and then also what time frame you have and how long we can afford to hold that property for between now and when you want to actually do something with the property. So so I think that that's probably the biggest misconception I do see quite often in, in the industry from a property investment perspective full stop is that the higher that, that both your income or potentially a combination of your income and your borrowing capacity, then the higher you should go as far as price points are concerned because capital growth is never assured. Cash flow is something that you can more or less understand because it is real and that you can look at yields, you can look at vacancy rates, and you can also put an assumption a very, very detailed assumption of what to expect that you're going to get from day one on that property and you can also have a very clear understanding of cash rates and that means what you're actually borrowing your money at from the banks in today's money and also what the likely cash or price of cash will be in the next two three four years so you can get a bit more of a clear understanding of both the the cash flow on a property and the yield of a property it's a lot more difficult to then plan for a, a strong growth asset and i think the last decade if we take sydney as an example is been a very good dictator of that if you if anyone's been tracking the markets in Sydney um, from the broader metro from the blue chips out through to the fringes of Campbelltown Penrith um, St Mary's Mount Druitt um, comparing that to the, the the eastern suburbs the southern suburbs the upper and lower north shores right through the northern beaches um, you do some regression analysis and you see clearly that the markets in the freestanding housing markets particularly in, in the west and southwest of Sydney actually have performed best over the last 10 years from a capital growth perspective. So it's it's always something that's interesting to, to make sure that we take the blinkers off and think that just because it's in an area that we want to live in doesn't mean that's a market that's going to be the best performing market for our money. And I think that's the advantage of having someone, whether it's someone like yourself or an educated accountant or someone that really understands that problem. I think you use some guidance on what may be the best area for you because we do tend to fall into just what we know. And I think it's mm. a little thing I just say around that. I think it's like in business, you know, complacency 
in business can kill a business. <laughs> if you stop being competitive, you can get overtaken. And I think that if you take that same analogy and look at your personal investment portfolio, I think many of us are way too complacent with our personal wealth creation. And we just go through life not really thinking about it. And in the end, we get to the end of our life going, oh, I've got no investments, I've got no cash return. And, and if I think of anything, and, and they're probably hopefully doing this in school, it's a bit been a while since I've been in school, but I, we should be teaching this to everyone. You know, you know, I was saying to my kids and they might find it's a bit boring and dad's going to get the whiteboard out and start showing them how to you know, buy one house and wait till the equity goes up and buy the next and so on. Um, they enjoy the Monopoly game. We still play Monopoly at home. You know, it might sound a bit weird being real estate agents playing Monopoly at home. <laughs> but I, I remember as a kid, I got a, what I learned out of that, <laughs> that basic thing was that buy one house, add another one, get to a hotel, control enough property. You, got, you had enough cash flow that dealt with when you got a repair bill to repair all your houses because you had a certain amount of cash flow coming in. Um, and I think that's, again, a vital thing when you are looking at your capacity and, and cash flow, as like you said. Um, if, if it's all cash flow positive, you can hold more houses and that sort of thing as well. Uh, but not everything will be cash flow positive. Um, just jumping Paul, into something else quickly. If I was, if you were talking to me as a new investor, I'm in my twenties. I don't know where to start. How, how, how should I, you know, example? Because I think a lot of problem is um, we all, especially at a young age, but it goes right through life. We can all spend more than we earn, and this is what we talked about passive income. Is income isn't coming from your day job. Is a sort of income coming from other income streams? Because we, a lot of us, can tend to live right up to our maximum paycheck. Um, how do these how do these guys get started and what should they be thinking about wanting to get their first investment and then what's the next step after that yeah look i mean it's 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 for me that's the most exciting cohort of investors because if anyone's listening to this and they're in their 20s or even in their 30s and considering their first investment and for that matter if they're in their 40s 50s or 60s and considering their first investment but i'll i'll target the 20s and 30 year olds who are probably in the early stages of their careers um in all likelihood they're going to see their incomes increase right up until their the 30s and 40s, where typically, you know, the data would suggest the, the, the average income per person as at its peak somewhere in your, your mid-ish 40s um, for most, late 30s to mid-ish 40s, and then you kind of peter out from there. But if we look at that that, that cohort, the, the beauty of that at being at that age is you have what most people don't once you get older is time um, and, and not underestimating the value of time in property. And if anyone who's been investing in property for a long time can can pass through as far as advice is that time is most certainly going to be your biggest compound effect. So regardless of what people are considering, making sure that whatever they're thinking about buying, they're not thinking about a one to anywhere, you know, even a five-year play for what they're buying and thinking that that's going to give them all the, the successes in property. The reality is, is that if you can get into the market and afford to hold that property in the market, for a hypothetically 20, potentially 30 plus years if you're in your 20s, right up until even before retirement age, you will have the beauty of compounding. And if anyone hasn't jumped onto some basic compounding uh, websites or apps, you can jump onto, I know ASIC has a, a very good and very simple compounding calculator where you can go factor in a $500,000 investment and put a very, very modest, call it uh, 3% average annual capital growth and donate any money to that $500,000 investment for 30 years and you have a look at what that property is worth in 30 years time with a 3%, which is essentially just above inflation over the long term, you're talking that property will almost certainly be worth uh, about $1.4 to $1.5 million come retirement age. And that's without paying off the debt. So you can then quickly extrapolate and say, well, 
as a $500,000 investment, as a, a mid-20s, late-20s, early 30s investor for your first investment. If you're being able to scramble together a 10% deposit plus closing costs, you're probably talking around about $60,000, to buy that actual investment. And if you're getting a 45 to 5% gross return right now with 25 3% borrowed money, that probably is going to be cash flow neutral. So you're ultimately being able to hold an asset ideally for 20 or 30 years that's going to be worth a heck of a lot more in, in that long-term time frame and continue to save. So as much as then in that situation, you don't have to be solely reliant on capital growth to then recycle equity, you can potentially then also rely on a small portion of your savings over the next two, three, four years and repeat the cycle. Um, and the, the biggest advice also I'd give to anyone who's starting out in property, especially those 20 and 30 year olds, is the fact that the first, second and typically third investments are the hardest to buy because they usually are reliant on your ability to save as opposed to harvesting equity because equity only comes once you have investments and typically once those investments have been in the portfolio for some time. So it's reliant on your ability to grind and save and repeat the process because once you've got that portfolio base, it actually gets easier. And speaking from my own experience, I'm 37. I've got a couple of dozen properties which I've built up over time. I've only ever sold one or two through developments that I've done, um, but retained a very, very large portfolio. Um, but most certainly the first couple that I bought were all about buying, saving, eating two-minute noodles, and really sacrificing a lot of things that I had to sacrifice to continue to repeat the cycle. And I think that's very important. What's the stats here? I remember I read them some before. Is it around like 85 90% only of investors only own one property? Yeah, well, I mean, the stats show that that, that ultimately that it's, a, it's about it's about sort of just a touch above eighty percent only ever own one, and and it's it's only a touch over ninety percent who own two, and the fraction that gets to people who own five or more properties becomes the top one percent of property investors. So if we then think about there's only you know, we've got twenty five million people in Australia, we've got about a bit over two million investors in total. Um, and only 1%, less than 1% of those own five or more assets. And we're talking a very small portion of people, you know, effectively about 20,000 people in Australia who own the lion's share of property. And I can tell you from my experience, they are not the, the doctors, the surgeons, the high-flying lawyers, um, the sports people that we think they may be. These are the people who started young um, and have managed their cash flows and have understood the, the power of property um, and getting there and keeping that way. And I've got a large amount of clients of mine who are on relatively modest salaries um, in the vicinity of eighty to $100,000 times two incomes. And, and I've got clients who are, have an excess of 40, 50, 60, in some cases, 70 plus properties in their portfolio and have never been on an extraordinary income. The, the thing they all have in common is they've been able to manage cash flow. They haven't taken huge risks and they've stayed in the game from a young age and continued to reinvest uh, over time. And most of them, vast majority of people I know who uh, have five plus properties in their portfolio, they don't think about, I have to sell to then reinvest. Their consideration is I hold, I wait till I have equity, and at the same time I save, so I can then have an additional deposits to keep reinvesting. But the whole time they're thinking, yes, long-term growth is, is key, but in the meantime, managing my cash flow, being able to have a good buffer in place for repairs, as well as factoring in interest rate increases so I'm not caught short, at any given point in time in my career, as well as you know, think about the what ifs if I lose my job or we have some sort of uh, some sort of issue with my income, which is very poignant in this point in time where we're going through COVID nineteen, and making sure that the, the the solution isn't that I just sell my properties. The solution is that I have money or I have 
balance my budget. So that that situation never really arises. And I think it's so important. You know, a lot of us will spend everything you earn, but if you really set, it's like a diet. <laughs> if you really get serious about it, I mean, I recently just gave up wheat and dairy for about six weeks, and and uh, and and wine, which was terrible, and coffee. <laughs> but it's amazing how many kilos of weight I lost, um, and I did yep. it for health reasons. It was great, and not that I was overweight, but I just wanted to feel better. Um, but when you get through those first few weeks, and the same with investing, once you put that first second first property, you got your toe in the water. Then you do the second and third. It starts to become you get very comfortable. But I, I do think it's important to be able to to have mentors that help you on that path, whether that's a mentor in a book that has owns, you know, a stack of properties or it's someone like yourself. And what I love, and I've said this before about what you do, is you help people, even if that person understands the game, like myself, you know, I understand investing. I've owned multiple properties and sold multiple properties. Um, and again, I said I wish I kept everything, but in my case, building businesses, I've always put, I've had to sell them to put the money in to build businesses, which is a sort of a passive income, sort of. Um, but you need a coach and, and sometimes you need someone to help you find those those great investments because you may not have the time. You could be an individual self-employed like myself. You're running a business and, and you don't have the time to look for it. So I really love what you do. Um, now, Paul, how do people – what's your website? Can you give us your website address? Yeah, for sure. So our, our website is purepropertyinvestments.com. Um, we also have a fair bit of information that, that we put out across all of our social media. So we've got Pure Property on Instagram, Pure Property on Facebook, as well as um, on uh, LinkedIn, as well as my own profile, Paul Glossop, on LinkedIn as well, where we try to put out typically at least a few times a week new videos, podcasts, webcasts about every any any facets around the property investment market. And that's from really detailed data right through to fundamental things that you need to know to get started as well. So there's a whole bunch of information there that we can get. And, and I'll actually also make sure that as a follow-up to this podcast, um, that on our website, purepropertyinvestment.com, if, um, I've actually got a, a best-selling book that was launched uh, mid-last year that became a bestseller Excellent. by uh, just after Christmas this year, funnily enough, or last year rather. Um, but there is a, the ability to actually grab a free copy of that book on our website. So if you do want to jump over there, you can get a very, very key detailed breakdown. It's, um, it's a very much a fundamental basic all the way through to very detailed deep dive into building a large and, and equity, equity filled property portfolio as well. So feel free to jump over there and, and, and grab a copy. What's the number that they should ring to get through? Yeah, so they can, they can catch us, they catch our office straight away and book in a time with me via 1300 98 five four two eight or alternatively they can shoot an email to inquiry that's inquiry with an e at purepropertyinvestment.com well i think it's great you know in, in my early days there there wasn't people that stood out like yourself giving education helping people to find the right property i think it's amazing there's so much information these days on property that we all owe it to ourselves to start educating ourselves as we said complacency kills businesses and it kills our retirement our investments and i don't think i don't think it matters how old you are <laughs> you should start building an investment portfolio even if in your 70s it may help your grandchildren and it may help you too it's good to have those look thank you so much paul for being on the show today and i'm sure a lot of people got a lot of information out of this really appreciate it you're very very welcome mate. thanks for having me thanks all i hope you have a wonderful week and we'll be bringing some more shows to you shortly Thanks for joining us on the Stone Real Estate Conversation podcast. Make sure you visit us at stonerealestate.com.au. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. While you're at it, if you found value in the podcast and the conversations on today's show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply make sure you tell a friend about the conversation we had. 
Be sure to join us on our next episode with more information on buying, selling and investing in real estate. Bye for now.